Good morning, everyone. <coughs> How are you all? Well, except for a little frog in the throat, I can uh, keep going because I'm going to read Revelation chapter 2. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they're not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You'll suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and to us as we look together at what it means. I tried to explain last week, and for those of you who are watching this, as well as those who are here listening, it's really important that we try to track through the seven churches because I do not believe these are seven messages to seven churches. I believe this is one message delivered for all of the churches. Otherwise, why are places like Hierapolis and Colossae, which were big cities, excluded? And the reality is, I think, as we look at this, that what you've got is a, a circular letter, something that was designed to be listened to when it was read out to all of the churches. And the division into seven is separate emphases that are particularly significant for individual churches. So last week you had Ephesus, and the message was, don't lose your first love. Don't lose your first love. And today we've got Smyrna, and the message is totally different. It's the most positive message from Jesus to any of the seven churches. This one is really significant. Now, be warned. Firstly, it's going to sound as if I'm preaching heresy. For my sins, I headed the evangelical churches in Britain for 14 years. I assure you, I'm not a heretic. I am so orthodox, I'm totally boring. <laughs> but it's going to sound very edgy this morning. The second thing is, it's going to sound very offensive because I'm going to take a sledgehammer to American Christianity. That is not because I originate from another country. It's because you've got to read Scripture for what Scripture says, whether you like it or not. The Word of God is truth, and we've got to live by it. And the third thing is, 
we're going to look at the most beautiful illustration of what real Christianity is all about. And if I don't leave you in pieces this morning, I've failed when I hand over to Michael, who will demolish whatever remains. And that's really what Scripture is trying to do. This second letter, the one to Smyrna, is really important. The first time I found Smyrna, it was a struggle. I was driving and I was hunting. And I knew I had a South African friend joining me very soon, and I needed to actually know where the place was. And I couldn't find it. Now, Turkey is a big country. The further east you go, the more risky it is. And Smyrna is as far west as you can get, because Smyrna is on the coast. And I was trying to find Smyrna because there are three really major cities in Turkey. The one that everyone knows about is Istanbul, which is up in the north. Then you've got Ankara, which is over to the east. And on the west coast, you've got Izmir. Uh, United Airlines flies direct from the States to Izmir. And I thought I'd find Smyrna fairly easily especially as I was driving, and there were signs saying, Smyrna. So I followed the signs to Smyrna, no Smyrna. So I went round again and followed the signs to Smyrna, no Smyrna. I tried a third time, and Turkey really does know what traffic can be like, especially in Izmir. You can spend an awful lot of time trying to get anywhere and I was wasting a lot of time, and I could not find Smyrna. Well, if you can't find somewhere, and you're driving right across where it ought to be, you look up, just in case it's halfway uh, up in the sky. No. Which only left me with one alternative. And I found Smyrna underground. Because that's where it is. All that's left is underground. Most of Smyrna is buried uh, under the modern city of Izmir, which is the city of three million. But when you get underground and you see what remains of Smyrna, Smyrna was a beautiful city, but very well hidden. Let me tell you a little bit about the history of Smyrna, because in 195 BC, when Antiochus Epiphanes IV was the emperor of Syria, Smyrna was, for the first time, coming to prominence, and it was developing its allegiance to Rome and the Roman Empire. In 195 BC, they built a temple and instituted the worship of Rome. You may say, why bore us with history? Because this is absolutely critically important. This is why the church has got into such trouble. Because what got instituted in Smyrna wasn't the worship of yet another idol, yet another god of that kind. 
what got instituted in Smyrna was the worship of the Roman emperor. And what made that so dangerous was if you didn't worship another god that was imposed on you, that was atheism. But if you didn't worship the emperor, that was treason. And so Smyrna begins the worship of the emperor and a hundred years later, the story gets through to Smyrna of a distressed Roman army that is fighting the Persians under Mithridates. And what happens to this army is they are starving and they're running out of any clothing at all. And so the inhabitants of Smyrna, the people, the citizens, took their clothes off and sent them to the Roman army fighting the Persians under Mithridates in Asia. It's an amazing story of how committed you can really be. Cicero, the Roman philosopher, spoke of Smyrna like this, the city of our most faithful and ancient allies. Smyrna was the birthplace of a famous writer, Homer, who wrote the Iliad and wrote the Odyssey. The Greek Homer was born in Smyrna. What happens in Smyrna is its population is about 100,000. And it's a really famous trading city because it's right on the coast and it's got two ports. So it became swiftly extremely influential and extremely wealthy. Now, you've got to realize that in those days, when you're looking at the area of the seven cities, three of them were competing to be number one. And the three in competition were Ephesus, which was the largest with a quarter of a million people, as I told you last, last week. Pergamum, which we're going to look at in two weeks' time. And Pergamum is really important. And Smyrna. The winner was Smyrna. And the way that they evaluated what was the most influential and significant city was which city built the most temples to the emperor. And Pergamum got two. Ephesus got two. Smyrna got three, which made it the number one city. From the 6th century AD onwards, it became the only important inland harbor. Uh, it was the real major trading, marketing city for the trade routes. It was an incredibly important place. No disaster could ever permanently disable it. Today, all that you've got is underground. But Smyrna had such an important part in those days. So greatly subject to earthquakes. Greatly subject to the Jews. Now, you've got to realize that for Christianity, the great opponent was not the Roman Empire. 
it was the Jews who often used their influence to stir up trouble for the Christians. The Christians saw themselves as completed Jews. And yet the Jews saw Christianity as the great evil to be stamped out. It's really significant to see what happens because the damage that the Jews did in fermenting hatred against the Christians was absolutely massive. And so the story of Smyrna goes on till 1919 when the Greeks invaded, the Turks defeated them, the city is burned down in 1922. That's why it's now underground. And no one's sure who burned it down. The Greeks say it was the Turks. The Turks say it was the Greeks. And the Greeks and Turks together say it was the Armenians. Whichever it was, it was one of those three groups. And the damage you still see today. So why is it so important to us? Why did it get the letter? Well, there are three things about Smyrna that absolutely stand out. Now, the first thing is, you've got to be very careful if you say you believe the Bible. Because it's a very risky thing to do. You see, the Bible contradicts itself and gets things wrong. You may say, you can't say that. Oh, yes, I can. Um, when I studied theology, uh, we did London University degrees. And you started with the idea that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, that the Bible wasn't the Word of God, and you moved on from there. And you may say, well, that's not evangelical Christians. Oh, yes, it is. We all had to do the state-imposed academic syllabuses, which actually is really useful because it means that no one can bring an argument up against us nowadays that we didn't actually study in the first place. And I spent my youth learning why I do believe the Bible, uh, studying at the feet of those who also believed the Bible, but were forced to teach me why I shouldn't believe it, and then explained why I could believe it. One of the things that is really important is recognizing that Scripture is not easy. And that means you have to be very careful when you just snatch a text out of here, there, or anywhere else and quote it. Because you've got to read the Bible for what it says. You've got to measure it against the rest that it says. And you've got to realize that Scripture is only infallible. Here go the three important words. As originally given. In other words, what is infallible is not what you're reading. What is infallible is what was originally there. Most of the time that's consistent with what you're reading. But not always. Otherwise, people like Michael, Steve, and I would be out of a job. There'd be no point having us. We are here to tell you what you don't have to believe, as well as what you do have to believe. 
when I was heading the Evangelical Alliance for the UK, one of my vice presidents was a guy named John Stott. And Uncle John is famous to anyone who's read a lot of biblical commentaries. You'll be familiar. Just look him up. You know, the guy's written more, peop more things than pe most people have meals. And Uncle John was famous in Europe as a biblical scholar. One day there was a really major conference that took place in Lausanne, Switzerland. It was in 1974. And evangelical leaders from all around the world gathered together. And three and a half thousand of us came up with a manifesto that all evangelical Christians should believe. Uncle John, John Stott, wrote it and stuck it in a piece of paper in his back pocket. When he got to the conference, he pulled out the piece of paper, and on it he'd written the major doctrines and what they should mean to us today. Let me give you the doctrine of Scripture, as Stott wrote it, and is now the standard belief for evangelical Christians worldwide. He said this. I've got to do the accent because it doesn't work any other way. Christianity is based on the Word, and the Bible is without error in all that it affirms. Scripture is without error in all that it affirms. If the Bible says something is true, it's true. If it doesn't say it's true, it doesn't have to be. So when Jesus told a story about a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, did it actually happen or was it just a story? Well, Jesus said he was telling a story. So I don't think you have to necessarily believe that happened. When Scripture tells you that Jesus died on a cross and broke out of the grave, that's not negotiable. It's absolutely there. So why am I boring you with, you've had history, now you've got theology. I mean, talk about a bad morning. <laughs> and here you go with what's so important about this. There is a part of that letter to Smyrna that isn't in the original. It was written in Greek, and there's a bit that's not there. So I'm going to argue with you, and, and Michael and Steve, you can stand up and pull me off the platform if you want. I'm going to argue you don't have to believe this bit, even though it's in your Bible, because it's not in the original. And I'll explain to you in a minute why you don't have to believe it. What you read is in the King James Bible and in the Revised Version, that in verse 8, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead, and it then says, was dead and lived again. That word again is not in the original. It's not in the Greek. It's just a convenience of the translators who want to explain what it means and therefore add a word to make it easier for you. But because that word's not there, I'm going to say it shouldn't be there and it shouldn't be translated. Why is that so important? 
because we've built up a whole doctrine around that word again, and it's not in the original. The doctrine we've built up is the idea of what happens after death. You then produce a rapture and everything else. Careful. Because the idea of being dead and living again is not in Scripture. So why is that so important? I don't think, Daniel, you don't mind me using you, do you? I'm going to say something that's probably going to make Missy a very happy lady. You're never going to die. But you're not going to die. And I can say that on the authority of Scripture. If that had been in the original, then you would die and rise again. That's not in the Bible. You're not going to die because you're a Christian. And Christians don't die. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this. Michael has many times. But it's really important. What it means is this. It means that at some point, your body is going to give in and give up unless the Lord comes back first. But when your body gives up, you don't die. Because what is you is not your body. That's just the outer covering. What is you is your spirit. That's never going to die. Because Jesus died to give you eternal so how can you die? If you've got eternal life, dying's not possible. So what happens when you run out of breath? If you don't die? Well, what happens is you relocate. You have Jesus here on earth. When you die, you just go somewhere else with Jesus. Because he never leaves you. Once you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he will never leave you or forsake you. He will always be with you. So you will never die. You live with Jesus now. You will live with Jesus forever. No, we don't believe in purgatory. The reality is, you just transfer and continue with Jesus and you'll be with Jesus forever. So you're never going to get rid of him. Missy, I'm sorry. <laughs> and the joy of, uh, unless you do choose that, because the joy of it is that Jesus gives you eternal, 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 you got it. I told you this was going to get difficult. Are you doing all right? Can you survive that? It's not in Scripture that you die and then eventually come back on the scene. You just stay in the arms of Jesus. That's wonderful, isn't it? All right, let's move on. What else about Smyrna that is really important? Now... 
Can I have a real go at the American church? Is that allowed? I'm a missionary to America. I'm an American. And I have no problems with being an American at all. But I have great problems with the American church. And my problems with the American church are what you've done to the church in the rest of the world. And you've done amazingly good things, but you did something bad as well. You exported a doctrine from the States that is not a traditional Christian doctrine at all. The doctrine that you exported is called the prosperity gospel. Lots of American Christians don't believe it anyway, which is great. But you exported it. You, you turn on your radio and you're going to discover something. You're going to discover that the degree of faith you have will be demonstrated by the size of your bank balance. If you're poor, you're not a good believer. If you're sick, you're not godly. If you're ill, you don't have faith. Because Jesus wants you healthy and wealthy. I have some real problems with that. I've got problems with it biblically um, from Paul's uh, thorn in the flesh onwards. I've got problems with it in my understanding of what happens in the life of the church. And I have real problems with it doctrinally. Because when I read in Scripture, I discover something really significant. The sicker you are, the less you've got, the more problems you incur, the more you are tested, the godlier you are. It sounds incredible, doesn't it? The less you've got, the more godly you are. You may say, well, hang on, of course, the Scripture says God wants to bless me. Yes, it does, but you've missed out the next bit to make you a blessing. Of course God wants to give you good things. You may be sitting there thinking, I'm wealthy! How dare he? No, God makes you wealthy. That's absolutely fine. And God wants you wealthy. That's absolutely fine. Providing it's not yours. Providing you realize he's just put it in trust. He's trusted you with it. To know how to use it. To know how to dispose of it. To know how to bless people with it. And if you've got health, you've not got good health for the benefit of you. You've got good health for the benefit of others. And if God takes or allows that health to be taken away from you, it will again be for the benefit of others. You don't live for you. You live for him. And the life he gives you is for others. This is not rocket science, folks. This is clear biblical Christianity, but we've lost it. Because we've got hold of the idea that the more we've got, the better we are. 
Actually, that's not what Scripture says. I love the dear little lady who's got two coins left. And Jesus uses her. I love the way that he takes a little child and lifts up a little child and uses the child and says, this is what you've got to be like. And that's what happens to Smyrna. Smyrna is singled out because of how much she suffered. Smyrna is singled out because of all the trouble she went through. Smyrna is singled out because of all she lost. She's not singled out because of what she had. And so Smyrna is so significant, so important because of what is given and then taken. And the way the Christians suffered is what made Smyrna special. So, now let me get really up close and personal. You lost a, a husband or a wife? You've gone through a divorce? Are you sick? Are you really suffering? You're struggling. Do you know so much pain? Is there that habit you cannot overcome? Did you lose a, a child? Or has your family been torn apart? And do you therefore look at yourself as if God doesn't love you? Be very, very careful. Those are normally signs of the favor of God, not the disfavor of God. God doesn't give you a get-out-of-jail-free card through life. He doesn't promise to exclude you from pain. He just promises to be with you in the middle of it. He promises to be there for you. He promises to love you. He promises to help you through everything you're going through. And in the middle of the struggles, the God who loves you will never leave you, will never forsake you. And that's the story of Smyrna. But there's one other bit of Smyrna. I studied theology 50 years ago, but I've never stopped ever since. Because I love the history and I love the theology. And I love the truth that gets lived. And I hate the cheap, easy escapism that says, let's baptize our culture and take all our world wants to give us and call it Christian. I believe that actually the faith is very different to that. And what happens in Smyrna is that the Jews always fermented trouble for the Christians. It was always hard to be a Christian in Smyrna. There was always more persecution there. When they had the great games, 
there would be five days added on to the games to make them ten days in length. And the five days added on were for the gladiatorial games and the attacks and persecution of the Christians. It was horrendous what it was like to be a Christian in Smyrna. Now let me take you to the year 156 AD. And I know that you will be familiar with what happens in 156 AD in Smyrna. Because it's the story of Polycarp. And Polycarp, Polycarp? Polycarp? No? No Polycarps around? Nobody knows? Polycarp was the bishop. Famous bishop. Because you see, Polycarp taught Irenaeus. And Irenaeus, in 180 AD, was the bishop of Lyon in France. Irenaeus learned from Polycarp. Who did Polycarp learn from? John, the apostle. Who did John learn from? Jesus. The Savior. So you've got a lovely line. Jesus, John, Polycarp, Irenaeus. Takes you through the first 200 years of church history. What happens to Polycarp in 156 AD is the Jews foment trouble. And Polycarp is dragged to the arena. It's the largest theater in the Roman world. And Polycarp gets dragged there and the Roman consul says, old man, have pity on your age. And Polycarp, who is on his knees, looks up at this Roman general and says this, and if you never learn something from me, learn the words of Polycarp. Ever learn something that's not in Scripture? Learn the words of Polycarp because they're life-changing. Polycarp says this to the Roman consul. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who died to save me? Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who died to save me? And the Jews brought the wood with which Polycarp was burned to death. The story goes that he wouldn't die. So in the end, the Romans had to put a sword in him. Because for some reason, his body wouldn't burn. Whether that's true or not, I leave entirely with you. What is true is, 80 and 6 years have I served him. He's done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who died to save me? That's Smyrna. That's Christianity in Smyrna. 
That's the suffering. I only want you to remember three things. If you love Jesus, you'll never die. You'll spend eternity with him. If you love Jesus, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer till it's pouring out of you. But it's really important. And if you love Jesus, Polycarp is on offer. What he endured is what you and I can have too. My friend Graham Kendrick wrote a song 40 years ago. I promise I won't sing it. But I will speak the words to you. This was the song. I'd like to be a martyr if it didn't hurt too much. But I know I wouldn't make it if I tried. I'd like to be a Christian if it didn't cost too much. But I know I'd want my ego to survive. So let's get biblical Christianity in perspective. This is not the way to get the best. This is not the way to get the most. This is not the way to become the richest. This is not the way to avoid the suffering. This is the way to suffer, to bleed, and to die. But you'll never die. Because you'll always be with the one who died for you and the one who gives you life, and life eternal. It's amazing, the story of Smyrna, and what it meant. And what happens to those who live and die like Polycarp, is they get a crown of life, and never die. God bless you.